ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله Verily the praise belongs to Allah We praise Him, seek His assistance and forgiveness And we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves And the evil consequences Whoever Allah guides, there is no one that can lead him astray And whoever Allah leads astray, there is no one that can guide him I bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah alone And that He has no partners And I bear witness that Muhammad wasallam is His slave servant and His messenger I would like to begin uh, our session this evening, the fourth lecture in our series of lectures from Taytheer Al-Alam, Sharh Umdat Al-Ahkam, the chapter Kitab Al-Salat, the book of Salat or prayers. Uh, as is our habit, I would like to quickly review the hadith that we discussed in our last uh, talk. And the, the hadith which we took last week were, were from the chapter of those things which are considered to be makru uh, or those things which are detestable, hated or disliked in the salat. And we mentioned first that <coughs> uh, the scholars of usul fiqh mentioned the rulings concerning matters are generally classified into five, that which is uh, obligatory, wajib, that which is recommended or commendable or beloved, mustahab, that which is uh, distasteful or disliked or hated, makru, that which is haram or forbidden, and in between those things, mubah, that which is permissible. And we mentioned the definitions of each of those terms, please uh, review them. Uh, the first hadith that we took last week from the chapter of those things which are distasteful or disliked in the Salat is hadith number 50 and that hadith was reported on the authority of Aisha radiallahu anha from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam who said إِذَا وُضِعَ الْعَشَاءِ وَأُقِيمَةِ الصَّلَاةِ فَابْدَأُوا بِالْعَشَاءِ yani if the evening meal al-asha has been placed before you and at the same time the iqamah has been pronounced for the performance of the congregational prayer that the prayer is going to begin then the Prophet ﷺ ordered us فَابْدَعُوا بِالْعَشَى begin with the asha, the dinner or the supper or the evening meal uh, from this hadith the Shaykh Abdullah Ibn Abdurrahman Ali Bassam mentions four points, he said that from this hadith we might derive the following. Number one, that when food and drink has been placed before someone at the time of, of the salat, then the food and drink should be given precedence. Yani, a, the person should eat or drink before going to the prayer, except in the case where the time for that prayer is about to expire, the end of the time for the prayer, and you would miss the time for the prayer, in that case, uh, then the prayer should be given precedence. Number two, the apparent meaning of this hadith is that 
There is no difference in the case of the person who is in need of that food and the one who is not in need of it. Yani the one who is hungry and the one who is not hungry. If the food is placed in front of you, the meal, it's time to eat and the food is present and the yaqama is called, you should eat. This is the apparent meaning of the hadith, but some of the scholars said as a condition, uh, many of the scholars said that it's really applicable to the one who is in need of taking that food, who is hungry. Because the intention, what is understood from this command of the Prophet ﷺ is that uh, the person should eat because if they go to the prayer while they're hungry they wouldn't be able to concentrate in the prayer but if the person is not in hungry and not in need of the food then there's no harm for them to go to the prayer number three uh, that the presence of one's meal the one who is in need of taking that meal is an excuse for that person to be absent from the prayer in congregation it is an excuse, a legitimate excuse. If the person is hungry and the food is placed before him and the time for the salat comes, then they have a legitimate Islamic excuse to be absent from the congregational prayer as long as they don't make the time for their meals at the time of the salat. And number four, he said uh, that al-khushu'a or, or concentration being in the state of mind of awe and fear of Allah and consciousness of Allah uh, is required and expected for a person when they enter the prayer uh, when they stand before Allah to communicate with Allah that everything that distracts somebody's mind and their heart should be avoided and eliminated Hadith number 51 the Hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha she said I heard the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam say la salata there is no prayer in the presence of food or the prayer cannot be properly performed while the food is present nor while the person is in need of relieving themselves they have to urinate or defecate in that condition that the food is placed in front of someone or the person needs to relieve themselves to answer the call of nature to urinate or defecate then there is no prayer at that time when the person is in that condition meaning that they shouldn't perform the prayer in that condition uh, there is some difference of opinion here amongst the scholars concerning this hadith or this point. Some of them, the first group of hadith of scholars, they took the apparent meaning of this hadith. This is the Zahiriyah or the literalist and also Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah. They said that the prayer is not sahih, it is not correct, it is not accepted. The prayer is not accepted when the food is present. And if someone's meal is presented, if they prayed in that condition, the prayer is not correct, it's not accepted. Nor the person who is in the condition of having the need to relieve themselves, to answer the call of nature, uh, so also their prayer, if they prayed in that condition, the prayer is not accepted. They considered, the first group, they considered that such a prayer is batila, it is invalid. Except that Shaykh Islam ibn Taymiyyah, he made as a condition, his, his position that the prayer is not correct is in the case of the person whose food is placed before them and they are actually hungry and in need of the food. The second group, uh, whereas the, uh, I mean from the first group, whereas the Zahiriyah, they said no matter if the person is hungry or not hungry, in any case the prayer is not accepted. The second group, and that's the majority of the scholars, the Jamhur, they said that the Salat is Sahih, it is correct 
but it is makro. It's distasteful. It's disliked that a person should pray in that condition while the food is placed before them or they have to answer the call of nature. Uh, they said that in this hadith, the statement of the Prophet that there is no prayer, that here the negation of the prayer, it means the negation of the perfection of the prayer or the completeness of the prayer, not the negation of the correctness or acceptability of the prayer. And if they said the prayer is not perfect if you pray in that condition, but it's still accepted. Uh, from this hadith, the Shaykh Abdullah mentioned six points that may be derived from this hadith. The first of them, that it is makru to perform the prayer for the person who is hungry while the food has been placed in front of him. And so also the person who has to answer the call of nature. It is makru to perform the prayer in that condition, except in the case that the person hasn't performed the prayer and the time for the prayer is going to elapse and the food is placed in front of them, if they eat, then they would miss the time for the prayer. And if the time for the prayer would be, it would be gone and the time for the next prayer would come, in that case, uh, it's permissible to pray in that condition. And the second point is that the presence of mind and heart and al-khushu' is required and expected from the Muslim when they go to perform the prayer. It's not just physical movement, but also it is the state or the consciousness and presence of mind and heart that is a requirement uh, for the perfection of the prayer. Number three, that a person, a, a Muslim, when they go to pray, should try to avoid anything that occupies their mind uh, and distracts them from the performance of the prayer. Also, that these four things, food or drink, urination or defecation, these things are an excuse for the person who is in that condition. It is an excuse for them to be absent from the Jum'ah Friday prayer as well as the Jama'ah congregational prayer. With the condition, as we already mentioned, that they shouldn't make their timings for these things at the times of the Salat so that they always have an excuse to avoid the congregational prayer. Uh, and number five, he mentions the statement of Imam Muhammad ibn Ali al-Sam'ani, <coughs> he said that this uh, ruling here is not the case of giving precedence to the rights of the human being over the rights of Allah. Yani that the human being has the right to eat, that that's more important than the right of Allah to perform the prayer. No, that's not the case here. But in fact, the case here is that given precedence to the need of the human being in this condition is in order to guard and to protect the rights of Allah. Yani that the person when they go to fulfill the right of Allah to perform the prayer that they in the proper condition and state of mind in order to perform the prayer properly. <coughs> and finally he said that some of the scholars defined al-khushu' as consisting of two things al-khawf was-sukoon. Al-khawf, al-khawf, yani consciousness of mind, fear of Allah and as sukoon yani tranquility or calmness of the physical body parts. Yani physically and mentally, the person should uh, try to establish the state of al khushu'ah. <coughs> and also, he mentioned, uh, yani as a side point, that uh, the hadith of the Prophet wasallam that a person might perform the prayer, but nothing would be written for them. They would not get credit for that prayer, but one tenth of the prayer, or one ninth, or eighth, or seventh, or sixth, or fifth down to one half of the prayer. Yani a person would only get a portion of credit or reward for their prayer due to their lack of concentration or al-khushu'ah in the prayer. 
so that it is expected and it is important that a person should concentrate uh, when they go to the prayer and avoid whatever might distract them. And the next uh, subheading is Bab, Awqat, and Nahi, the chapter concerning the times which the prayers are prohibited. And here the Shaykh Abdullah mentions three times, though the hadith that are mentioned in this chapter only mention two timings. But here he said that there are three timings, and perhaps some of the scholars even said there are five timings. In any case, <coughs> he mentions the three times that is after the performance of Fajr prayer until sunrise. It's prohibited. After one performs the dawn prayer, it's prohibited to pray until sunrise. And after the Asr prayer, until sunset. When you pray the Asr prayer, it's prohibited to make any voluntary prayers until the sun actually sets for the time of Maghrib. And also the time when the sun is at its zenith, at, its, at the highest point directly overhead, it's also prohibited to pray at that time until the sun begins to decline. <coughs> also there's a hadith, I don't know if I mentioned it last week, I think I didn't, that's recorded by Al-Bukhari on the authority of Abdullah ibn Umar عنه, he said that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, لا يتحرى أحدكم فيصلي عند تلو الشمس ولا عند غروبها يعني that no one should seek to actually pray at the time of the setting of the sun when the sun is actually setting or the sun is rising and he said first at the time that the sun is actually rising or at the time that the sun is actually setting that means after dawn when the sun actually begins to appear the circle, the disk of the sun begins to appear above the horizon until it actually completely rises above the horizon that's the time of actually the rising of the sun for those minutes, ten minutes or so it's prohibited that someone should pray in that time as well when the sun begins to set when the bottom of the circle of the sun of the disk of the sun begins to descend beyond the horizon until it's completely out of sight which is just a few moments, ten minutes or so that also, that time is specifically prohibited to pray these two times, the time of the actual rising of the sun and the time of the actual setting of the sun. Anyway, from this chapter he mentioned two hadith. The first of them is the hadith of Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma. May Allah be pleased with him and his father. He said <coughs> that uh, some people testify or bore witness that Anna Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam naha an as-salati ba'da as-subh hatta tatlu'a al-shams that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam prohibited anyone to perform prayers, meaning voluntary prayers, after dawn, until the sun begins to rise, or until the sun rises. وَبَعْدَ الْعَصْرِ حَتَّى And also, بَعْدَ After the time of Asr, until the sun sets. يعني, uh, at these two times, this is in agreement with the, uh, what we have just mentioned about the prohibited times, after Dawn until the sun rises, you should not pray voluntary prayers. And after Asr until the sun sets, you should not pray voluntary prayers. Uh, the second hadith which is related to this is the hadith of Abu Sa'id, Abu Sa'id al Qudri radiallahu anhu, that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, La salata ba'd subh, that there is no prayer, yani, there is no prayer after dawn. Until the sun rises high, until it rises uh, completely above the horizon. And there is no prayer after Asr until the sun actually sets. Both of these hadiths are similar in meaning. And here there is some difference of opinion. There were three points of difference of opinion in brief. 
the first point was what was the ruling or the hukum of the salat that one prays in these times is it makruh or is it mubah is it disliked or is it permissible if someone prays in those prohibited times what is the ruling of that prayer is it makruh distasteful or is it uh, permissible and there are two opinions the first opinion is the opinion of the jamhur the majority of the scholars they said that it is makruh and they used as evidence for their opinion the authentic hadith which uh, such as the ones that we have mentioned here as well as other similar hadith the second opinion is the opinion of the Zahiriya who said that it is permissible to pray in that time in those times that are mentioned here in the hadith they said it's permissible to pray in those times uh, and they said uh, that the reason why it's permissible is because those hadith which mention the prohibition they have been abrogated they said that they have been abrogated and the reason why they said it's abrogated because there are some conditions in which the Prophet allowed someone to pray in those times special conditions they said those incidents abrogate these hadith but in fact the first group the majority of scholars answered them by saying no they don't abrogate those hadith but it is the case of al-am wal-khas yani that there are some hadith or rulings which are general and then there are some which are khas special that are yani uh, special cases accepted an exception from the general ruling so they said those exceptions don't abrogate this but they are exceptional cases that is allowed in that case yani such as the person who enters the masjid after he performed after prayer he went home or went to the market or went someplace and came back to the masjid after after he came back to the masjid before sunset and when you enter the masjid you shouldn't sit until you pray two rakah so he prays two rakah in the prohibited time that's an exception to the rule because that's a special case that doesn't abrogate the prohibition but it means that the, there are some special cases where it's allowed okay so that's the first point about which there is difference of opinion the second point about which there is difference of opinion is uh, <coughs> which salat is prohibited in these times that are mentioned here in the prohibited times which prayer is prohibited and the first group the Hanafiya, Maliki and, Hanbal, and, Han- and Hanabila that means the scholars of the Madhab Imam Abu Hanifa and Imam Malik and Imam Ahmed they held that all voluntary prayers are prohibited in these prohibited times all voluntary prayers except Turaqah that one makes after performing Tawaf of the Kaaba behind Maqam Ibrahim they said that that's an exception because of the hadith of the Prophet he said don't prohibit anyone from praying at any time after they make Tawaf of the house the second group and this is the opinion of the Shafi'iyah or the scholars of the Shafi'i Madhab and also it is, one, it is reported in one narration from Imam Ahmed that he agrees with the Shafi'i opinion uh, and it is also the opinion of Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah and a group of scholars they said that the prayer that is prohibited in these prohibited times are the voluntary prayers that have no reason attached to them have no yeah, any cause for you to pray the, the, the prayers that have a cause are such as Tahiyat al-Masjid when you enter the Masjid there's a reason for you to pray because it is from the sunnah that when one enters the masjid they should pray before sitting so this is a voluntary prayer it's not an obligatory prayer it's a nafil prayer but it has a cause therefore you can pray it Salat al-Istikhara it has a cause so if a person has to make istikhara at a prohibited time it's permissible to pray that's the second opinion that pure voluntary prayers and I just feel like praying now so let me make some salat after Asr or after Fajr you shouldn't do it but if there's a reason for you to pray and a specific occasion that's legislated in the Sunnah in that case 
it's uh, permissible for you to pray. <coughs> the third point about which there was difference of opinion is the prohibition after dawn and the prohibition after after late afternoon. That prohibition, when does it begin? Does it begin after the performance of the dawn prayer in congregation, that after that no one can pray voluntary prayers? Or does it begin at the break of dawn? There are two opinions. Does it begin after the performance of the after prayer in congregation? Yeah, and once you pray after, you can't pray any more voluntary prayers after that? Or does it begin at the beginning of the time of after? When does the prohibition begin? Uh, the first group, the Hanafiya, they said that the time of prohibition of voluntary prayers is from the break of dawn. And this is also the famous opinion of the Hanabila or the scholars of Ahmed ibn Hanbal's madhab. And they used as a proof a number of hadith which, in which the Prophet ﷺ said, for example, لا تصلوا بعد الفجر إلا سجدتين Don't pray after dawn except two rakah. Yani the two rakah of sunnah before the congregational prayer of dawn. Except that no other voluntary prayers may be prayed. According to this hadith, don't pray بعد الفجر. Yani after dawn, once the break of dawn, you shouldn't pray any voluntary prayers except two rakah. And there are a number of hadith like this. Uh, so they said that the prohibition begins once dawn comes. Before dawn you can pray voluntary prayers as much as you want. But once the time of dawn arrives, no one should pray any more voluntary prayers except the two rakah that are attached to the congregational prayer of dawn. Only those two. Uh, the second group is the opinion that the prohibition of making voluntary prayers begins after the person prays the Fajr prayer in congregation. Yani before you pray the congregational prayer of Fajr, they said you may pray as much voluntary prayers as you like. But once you pray the congregational prayer of Fajr, after that you shouldn't pray any more congregational prayers until sunrise. And their opinion is based on a number of authentic hadith from amongst them the hadith of Al-Bukhari from Abu Sa'id al-Qudr anhu. He said, لا صلاة بعد صلاة الفجر There is no prayer بعد صلاة الفجر After you prayed the congregational prayer of Fajr Then after that you can't pray any more voluntary prayers حتى تطلع الشمس Until the sun rises And the same thing about Asr يعني There is a similar hadith from the Prophet That's reported in Al-Bukhari from Umar ibn al-Khattab He said لا صلاة بعد صلاة الصبح حتى تطلع الشمس يعني There is no uh, you cannot perform any voluntary prayers or there is no prayer after Salatul Subh, after the performance of the prayer of Subh, which means Salatul Fajr, until the sun rises. And these are authentic hadith. Um, they are both opinions, are legitimate opinions. The strongest opinion seems to be that there is no, uh, that the prohibition is after you perform the congregational prayer. Because these two different hadith, Ba'd al Subh and Ba'd al Salatul Subh, or Ba'd al Fajr and Ba'd al Salatul Fajr, they can be combined. You can understand that when he said there is no prayer after dawn, that he means after Salatul Fajr, after the prayer of dawn. And from the other hadith, if you bring them together, you can understand that it means that Allah knows best. In any case, uh, these are the two opinions. From this hadith, the Shaykh mentions uh, a few points. From amongst them, he said the prohibition of performing pure voluntary prayers, that have no reason, that have no cause, after the dawn prayer until the sun rises high 
يعني at least three meters, the length of three meters or the length of, length of a spear until it rises at least three meters above the horizon and also the prohibition of purely voluntary prayers which have no cause or reason after the performance of Salat al-Asr until the sun sets and also from this he said that uh, uh, from some of the hadith related to this matter we understand that the cause or the reason for the prohibition is that the Prophet ﷺ feared that if we prayed in these prohibited times I mean before sunset and before sunrise that it would be tashabbuh or comparison or imitation of the pagan disbelievers who used to worship the sun at these times this was their time of worship just before sunrise and before sunset so some of the scholars understood that the reason for this prohibition is to avoid imitation or being similar to the pagan disbelievers so from this they said that in general we can also understand that we should avoid imitation of the disbelievers in general in all of their matters we should avoid imitating them and there are a number of hadith where the Prophet ﷺ said don't do certain things uh, don't uh, shave your beard or المشركين يعني don't do this or don't do that in order to be different from the disbelievers and he told us don't do these things so that we would not be similar to them okay tonight uh, the hadith that we want to take the first hadith is hadith number 54 and it's under the title of making up the missed prayers يعني قضاء الفوائد باب قضاء الفوائد making up those prayers which were missed وترتيبها and also the order in which the prayers should be performed when they are missed prayers more than one what order should they be performed in or if there's a missed prayer and the time for the next prayer arrives, which one should be performed first? What is the order? The first hadith is the hadith of Jabir ibn Abdullah radiallahu anhuma. May Allah be pleased with him and his father. Anna Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu. That Umar ibn al-Khattab, may Allah be pleased with him. Ja'a yawm al-khandaq ba'dama gharabat al-shams. Faja'ala yasubbu kuffar Quraysh. Yani Umar came on the day of the battle of Khandaq after the sun had set and he began to abuse or use harsh language or curse the pagan disbelievers. Cursing doesn't mean uh, maybe what some people understand by cursing but it means abusive language. He spoke against them harshly. It doesn't mean profanity. Now, that's the word I was looking for. Jazakallah khair. Uh, <laughs> he began to yani, speak harshly against them, against the pagan disbelievers of Quraysh. وَقَالَ يَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ مَا كِدْتُ أُصَلِّي الْعَصْرِ حَتَّى كَادَتِ الشَّمْسِ تَغْرُبَا يعني I almost didn't perform the Asr prayer until the sun was almost setting يعني he performed the Asr prayer but he almost didn't perform it until the sun had almost set يعني just before the sunset he was able to perform the Asr prayer he was angry that they delayed him in the performance of the Asr prayer فَقَالَ نَبِيُّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ وَاللَّهِ مَا صَلِّيْتُهَا The Prophet ﷺ said to him وَاللَّهِ I swear by Allah I didn't even pray it يعني at least you prayed it I didn't even pray it قَالَ Then Umar رضي الله عنهما He said فَقُمْنَا إِلَى بُطْحَانِ فَتَوَضَّعَ لِلصَّلَاةِ وَتَوَضَّعْنَا لَهَا فَصَلَّى الْعَصْرِ بَعْدَ مَا غَرَبَتِ الشَّ and then Umar said after this conversation he said that we stood up and we went to a place called Bathan which is a valley outside of Medina or near Medina 
Then the Prophet made ablution for prayer. And we also, meaning the Sahaba, we also made ablution for prayer. Then he prayed the Asr prayer after the sun had set. He prayed the Asr prayer after sunset. Yani after the time of Maghrib prayer was in. Then, then he prayed after praying the Asr prayer. Then he prayed after the Maghrib prayer. Uh, the general meaning of this hadith, he said that Umar al-Khattab anhu came to the Prophet وسلم, in the day of Khandaq, the, the day of the battle of the ditch, that's also called the battle of Ahzab, the confederates, when the pagan disbelievers all came together with the, with the Jews to oppose the Muslims, the pagans and the people of Quraysh and all of them. Uh, he came to him after the sun had set and he was cursing the disbelievers of the Quraysh because they had occupied him and busied him, keeping him from performing the Salat al-Asr and he didn't pray it until the sun had almost set. Then the Prophet ﷺ made an oath. He swore by Allah. And he is the most truthful. He said, I didn't pray it at all. And he said this perhaps to يعني, uh, relieve Omar of his anxiety. يعني, my condition is even worse than yours. At least you prayed it. I didn't even pray it. Uh, because he saw that Umar, and it was really a burden, a hardship on him, that he performed the prayer so late. He wanted to relieve him. Then the Prophet ﷺ stood up and performed wudu, and also his companions along with him performed wudu. Then he prayed the Asr prayer after the time of sunset, and after the Asr prayer he prayed the Maghrib. From this hadith, the Shaykh mentioned six points. The first of them is the obligation of making up the missed prayers from the five obligatory prayers. Yani the five daily prayers of the day, if anyone missed one of them, it's obligatory to make it up. Even if it's after his time, you have to make it up. The second point that he mentions from this hadith, and even some of the scholars said uh, that perhaps even you might understand from this hadith the obligation or the permissibility at least of performing the missed prayers in congregation. Because from this hadith you could understand that the Sahaba who also missed the prayer went with the Prophet to Bathan and they made ablution when he made ablution and when he prayed it appears as though they must have also prayed with him, those who missed the prayer. So that the performance of a missed prayer is permissible in congregation. The next point he said uh, that the apparent meaning is that the delay of the prayer, of the performance of this prayer wasn't due to forgetfulness. Yeah, and it wasn't that the Prophet forgot to pray, but he was occupied due to the battle. He, yeah, and he delayed the prayer intentionally due to his inability to perform it. But that this was before the legislation of Salat al-Khawf, the fear prayer, uh, as, most, as many of the scholars said, that this took place before the legislation of the prayer that one must perform when on the battlefield. Also, in this hadith, there is a proof or an evidence that the prayer which you have missed should be performed before the present prayer which is due. The Maghrib prayer was due, but the prayer that was missed, the Prophet ﷺ performed it first. Except, the Shaykh, he says, except if the time for the present prayer is almost elapsed. In that case, then it should be performed first in order that its time is also not missed. There's a difference of opinion on this point. Some of the scholars said no. That in any case, the one, the prayer that is missed has to be performed first in its order. And the basis of this argument is primarily those who said that the action of the Prophet ﷺ doesn't indicate 
obligation. And in his practice, doesn't, when we saw the Prophet doing something, it doesn't mean that it's obligatory to do it, but it indicates that it's mustahab or that it's permissible. So those scholars said, no, it's not obligatory to perform them in the order, even though the Prophet did it, but that it's permissible or that it's commendable or recommended to perform in an order, but not obligatory. The other scholars said, no, that it is obligatory. The action of the Prophet indicates that it has to be performed in its time. In any case, it's at least preferable or recommended that they should be performed in their time, except there's difference of opinion if the time for the next prayer, which is due now, is almost elapsed also. Then in that case, some scholars said that you may perform that one first, the one that is due, and the one that you already missed, perform it afterwards. The next point he said, uh, the permissibility of making supplication against an oppressor or wrongdoer. Because uh, Umar ibn Khattab anhu, he supplicated against the pagan disbelievers and the Prophet sallallahu didn't censure him, didn't scold him, or didn't say anything against him doing that. Yani if it was wrong for him to supplicate against them in this way, then the Prophet sallallahu would have told him, would have stopped him. But the fact that he allowed him to say those things means that if someone is a wrongdoer or oppressor, it's permissible to supplicate, to make dua against them. Also, that it is legislated to try to relieve the burden and the hardship and the anxiety of someone who has been afflicted. Yani we understand this from the fact that Omar, he was afflicted. Yani he, was, he was worried and he was troubled by the fact that he delayed the Asa prayer until almost sunset. And the Prophet ﷺ tried to relieve some of that burden or that worry from him or that anxiety by telling him that, even I, that I didn't even perform it at all. And the last thing he mentions, the permissibility of swearing by Allah, yani if it is in a truthful manner, even if a person is not requested to make an oath. Because the Prophet ﷺ wasn't requested yani to make a statement and to swear on it. Yani if somebody is testifying in the court, they may tell you to make an oath about what you are saying, what you are testifying to. But even in the absence of being requested to make an oath, it's permissible, as here in this case the Prophet ﷺ made an oath. He said, Wallahi ma salaytuha. Yani I swear by Allah, I didn't even pray. When there wasn't any requirement for him to make an oath, it was sufficient for him to say to Umar, I didn't even pray. But he made an oath, which means it indicates that it's permissible for someone to make a truthful oath, even when they are not requested. The next chapter is Bab Fadl Salat al-Jama'ah wa Wujubiha. Yani the virtuous or superiority of the prayer, performance of the prayer in congregation, and, and its obligation, yani the obligation of performing the salat or the prayer in congregation for adult males, not for women, no children. Uh, here, in reference to the prayer in congregation, the Shaykh mentions a number of points uh, about, yani in the Islamic law, that there are many forms of worship which are done as a group or in congregation in order to uh, collect or to solidify the Muslim society. Uh, in these, on these occasions when the Muslims come together for any kind of group worship or activity, it is meant to establish relations and to get to know one another and to consult with one another in the affairs of the Muslims and to cooperate with one another in solving the problems of the Muslims and to compare opinions. Yani these congregational activities are meant to bring the Muslims together for these reasons. And there are many benefits uh, from such gatherings. 
from amongst them, he says, are the opportunity to teach those who don't know. When the Muslims come together, it's an opportunity to teach those who don't know. Also, to help those who are in need of help, who are unable to do certain things when the Muslims come together, then the Muslim society and community may help those who are in need of help. Also, for softening of the heart. Yeah, and the, the coming together of the Muslims is a means of softening the hearts of the Muslims, uh, as well as it is a manifestation of the glory and the greatness of Islam, and also a manifestation of yeah, and the, the Islamic uh, ways of life, yeah, and the things that are part of the Islamic way of life. When the Muslims come together to perform salat or such things, then it is a show, an open show of yeah, and some aspects of the deen of Allah. The first of such gatherings is the Salat and Jama'ah in the Masjid and it is considered to be a small convention or a small conference of the Muslims uh, that the local people in every area yeah, and they come together regularly every day five times in the day and the night yeah, and they meet together and see one another, discuss with one another, know the conditions of one another and establish the seeds of the greater Islamic society. So this congregational prayer has many benefits and we should consider the importance of it and try to yeah, and the, uh, benefit from this gathering and participate in it and not take it lightly just to perform our prayers at home or at work or wherever we may be and not give attention to the performance of the prayer in congregation in the masjid. The first hadith that, the sheikh, that is mentioned here by the author is the hadith of Abdullah ibn Umar anhuma, may Allah be pleased with him and his father anna Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam aqal that the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said salatul jama'ah afdalu min salatul fadh bi sab'in wa ishreena daraja that the salat in jama'ah in congregation is preferable and better than the salat Salat al-Fazdi, yani the Salat of a person alone, performing their prayer alone, not in the congregation, it is better afdal bi sab'in wa ishreena daraja, by 27 degrees, yani it is 27 degrees higher in its preference than the prayer that one prays alone. Here the Shaykh says the general meaning of this hadith, in this hadith there is an indication or clarification of the superiority of the prayer in congregation over the prayer that one prays alone. Uh, because there are many benefits that the Muslims get by performing the prayer in congregation. For this reason, uh, the prayer in congregation is preferable or it is higher in degree in its reward and so on than the prayer that someone prays alone. And here he says that whoever loses this reward or this degree of preference, then they have really lost something great. And it shouldn't be taken lightly. Here, from this hadith, he mentioned four points that are derived. First is the clarification of the superiority of the salat in jama'ah. It becomes clear from this hadith that the salat in jama'ah is superior by far than the prayer that one prays alone. Second, the clarification of the little amount of the reward of the Salat alone in comparison to the reward that one receives in congregation. Yeah, and it is much less the reward that one receives when praying alone than the reward that one would receive if praying in congregation. The third point he says that there is a great difference 
between the two prayers, the prayer and congregation and the prayer alone. There is a great difference between them. And the final thing he says, uh, that also you may understand from this hadith, that the prayer that one prays alone is correct, it is sahih, and it also, يعني, the person is giving credit for it. If someone doesn't pray in congregation, their prayer is correct, it is acceptable. And they are giving credit for having performed the prayer, uh, even though they missed the congregation. And not only that, but there is even يعني, some reward, even though the reward is less for the one who prays alone. Uh, and this is particularly in reference uh, uh, to, to the person who misses the congregational prayer without an excuse. As for the person who missed the congregational prayer with a leg- legitimate excuse, then this hadith is not applicable to them. Because if Allah has given them an excuse, then they are free of blame. But the one who missed the congregational prayer without a legitimate excuse from the Sharia, then this is applicable to them. Otherwise, if the person is sick or something, then they get the full reward for their prayer, even though they didn't go to the congregation because they are unable. So Allah doesn't hold that against them, that they are unable, if they have a legitimate reason. The next hadith is hadith number uh, 56. 56. From on the authority of Abu Hurairah, قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم he said that the messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم said صلاة الرجل في الجماعة تضاعف على صلاته في بيته وفي سوقه خمسة وعشرين ضعفا يعني that the prayer of a person in congregation is multiplied and its reward is multiplied over his prayer that he prays in his home or in his place of business in the marketplace by five, 25 degrees or 25 times better the prayer that one prays in congregation is multiplied 25 times more than the prayer that one prays at home or in his business or in the market وَذَلِكَ أَنَّهُ إِذَا تَوَضَّعَ فَأَحْسَنَ الْوُضُوءُ and the reason for this why this prayer is, is 25 times better he said, this is the reason why. If a person makes wudu and makes it perfectly or properly, thoroughly, then he went out from his home or his place of business going to the masjid. And there's no reason why he went out except because he went out to perform the salat. Every step he takes, he will be raised up one degree. And there will be a sin removed from his record or from his account. For every step he takes in walking to the masjid, he will get a reward or a raised up one degree and removal of one of his sins. فَإِذَا صَلَّ لَمْ تَزَلَ الْمَلَائِكَةِ تُصَلِّي عَلَيْهِ مَدَامَ فِي مُصَلَّاهُ so if he prays in that condition, after making wudu properly and thoroughly and leaving his home and going to the masjid, not only will he get the reward of being raised up and sins removed, but if he prays after doing so in the masjid and congregation, then the angels continue to pray for him as long as he is in his musalla, in his place of prayer. As long as he remains in the place of prayer, then the angels continue to pray for him and they say, Allahumma salli alayhi, Allahumma ghfir lahu, Allahumma arhamhu, wa la yazalu. وَلَا يَزَالْ فِي صَلَاةٍ مَنْ تَظَرَ الصَّلَاةِ 
Yani they say, Oh Allah, uh, yani grant him blessings and forgiveness and mercy. And a person remains in the condition like they are praying as long as they are waiting for the salat. Yani if somebody goes to the masjid early, while they are waiting for the prayer, it is as though they are in the prayer. They are getting the reward as the one who is praying as long as you are waiting for the prayer. Here the shaykh says that the general meaning of this hadith, that this hadith indicates or it clarifies the superiority of the salat and jama'ah over the salat that one prays alone and that whoever prays in the jama'ah that their reward, their hasanat will be multiplied more than the one who prays alone by 25 times and that the reason for this uh, multiplication of their reward it is that whoever yeah, wanted to pray, intended to pray so they made wudu and they made wudu properly and thoroughly and then they left from their house with the pure intention of going to the masjid to pray in congregation not for any other reason except the performance of the salat then every step that they take will cause them to be raised up a degree and cause uh, one of their sins to be forgiven so if the person prayed in the masjid in jama'ah then the angels will continue to pray for them and supplicate for them for the mercy of Allah and the blessings of Allah and as long as that person remained in their place of prayer uh, the angels will continue to pray for them for forgiveness and mercy also one of the reasons of the reasons for the multiplication of the person's reward in jama'ah over the reward of the person praying alone is that as long as the person is waiting for the prayer the person who is praying alone he doesn't get this reward but the one who goes to the masjid as such they get the reward of praying even before they pray as long as they are waiting for the congregational prayer as long as the person waits in the masjid for the congregational prayer they get the reward as though they are actually performing prayer uh, because nothing has kept that person yani, waiting in that place except the fact that they have the intention or the niyyah to perform the prayer in jama'ah here he said that the scholars differed as to why or what is the explanation in some hadith that mentions 25 degrees and other hadith 27 uh, or 27 degrees and 25 times and he said that all of their opinions yani, are ijtihad from the scholars but there is no clear text explaining uh, what's the difference here but the closest thing to being correct is that when numbers are mentioned that the exact number is not what is intended here but it is intended to show yani, the degree of reward or the superiority of something over something else so that the mention of these two numbers 25 or 27 is not a contradiction that requires uh, yani, uh, some explanation but it should be understood that uh, 25 and 27 both of them indicate the similar meaning of the superiority or the great reward that one receives for the prayer and congregation uh, from this hadith the shaykh mentions five points the first of them is the superiority of salat and jama'ah in the masjid and that its reward is multiplied uh, and that this reward is achieved no matter how many are the number of the people who pray in that jama'ah and if somebody prays in the masjid and only five people come they still get credit 
for praying in Jama'ah 25 or 27 times the reward. It's not, yani it doesn't require that the Jama'ah has to have 50 people or 40 people or a certain number, but as long as there's a Jama'ah there, then the person gets the credit. Although, the more the people who pray, the more the possibility of their reward being increased. Yani, the larger the congregation, the more reward that a person may get, and this is based on the hadith uh, that's reported in the books of Sunan, and it's also reported in the Musnad of Imam Ahmed on the authority of Ubay ibn Ka'ab, who reported it from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that as-salat al-rajul, Actually, um, I meant to check this hadith, although I know that the hadith is authentic previously having read it, but I didn't go back to check the exact text of the hadith. In any case, the way he narrates the hadith here, and he doesn't put it in parenthesis, which perhaps may indicate that he is narrating the hadith by meaning, but the hadith is authentic, and uh, the general meaning of the hadith is that Salatul Rajul Ma'a Rajul Azka Min Salatihi Wahdahu Wa Salatuhu Ma'a Rajulain Azka min salatihi ma'al-wahid Yani that the prayer of a person of a man with another man is better than his prayer alone and the prayer that he performs with two other people is better than the prayer that he performs with one person meaning in other words the more of the number of the congregation the more is the reward the second point that he derived from this hadith that there is a defect or a decrease in the reward of the prayer when a person prays alone and that its reward or its uh, the completeness or perfection of that prayer um, is less than the prayer in congregation. Number three, that performing the prayer in congregation is not a shart, it is not a precondition for the Salat to be accepted. That means that even if the person prays alone, their prayer may be accepted. <coughs> as long as all other conditions are fulfilled. Although there is a great loss in the reward of the person who prays alone. But if a person doesn't perform the prayer in congregation, it doesn't mean that the prayer became invalid. The prayer in congregation is preferable, but it's not a condition for the prayer to be accepted. <coughs> and uh, number four he says that these virtues of the prayer and congregation such as being raised up, being removed and the seeking of forgiveness of the angels the achievement of these rewards or these virtues are based on a number of things. The first of them is Ihsan al-Wudu means performing the ablution properly and thoroughly. And in order to achieve these virtues, the person should perform the wudu or ablution thoroughly. Also, al-khuruj min al-bayt ila al-masjid. Liqast al-salat diniya khalisa. And the second thing that's required is that the person should leave their house to go to the masjid with the pure intention of performing the salat. Not that they just happen to arrive at the masjid for some other reason. And if there's a business meeting at the masjid or something. But the person should have the intention when they leave the house that they are going to the masjid for the purpose of salat. <coughs> uh, so, 
so that these two things together are necessary in order to get these rewards. If any one of them is missing, then the reward that is mentioned should not be expected. And the last thing that he mentions here is that the person who is waiting for the salat gets the reward just like the person who is actually performing salat. Uh, we'll stop here now because there's some other hadith that I wanted to mention quickly uh, and the next hadith is a long hadith and the discussion about it is also very long and the ikhtilaf and differences of opinion is few pages so we cannot complete the next hadith inshallah bi'ithnillah uh, hadith number 57 will take in the next session and let me just quickly uh, mention some hadith from previous topic that we had concerning those things which are makroo those things which are makroo in the salat we mentioned that it's makroo that a person should go to the prayer while they are while the food is presented to them food or drink as well as the person who has to relieve themselves or answer the call of nature but there are a number of other things that are mentioned in the sunnah and just quickly if we can just go through them because it is important really uh, this book that we are studying Taysir al-Alam Shah'umdat al-Ahkam is a mukhtasar a summary of the hadith concerning the rulings in the religion it's a summarized version it's not meant to be comprehensive or complete but these hadith are very important that we should mention so quickly let me just say that one of the things that is also yani, considered to be makru in the salat is as reported in Sahih Muslim uh, in the English translation page number 275 hadith number 1113 it's reported from Abu Huraira that the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said that he forbade keeping one's hand on one's waist while praying and in the narration of Abu Bakr the words are the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam forbade to do so yani, that one when you are praying you should not stand in the prayer with your hands on your waist this is something that is yani, not proper while one is performing the prayers actually the sunnah as we know a person should put their right hand on their left hand on their chest although some of the scholars in the Maliki Madhab and it is more well known from the Shia that they pray with their hands on their side this is not from the Sunnah of the Prophet and even putting your hands on your waist is clearly mentioned in this hadith secondly to remove pebbles to smooth the ground while someone is engaged in prayer it is reported that the Prophet in the next hadith hadith number 1114 on the same page in Sahih Muslim that he uh, that he, the Sahaba quoted the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu mentioning the removal of pebbles from the ground where he prostrated himself the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said if you must do so do it only once because this is something that distracts someone in the prayer yeah, I mean, if you find when you are going to prostrate on the ground of course we are praying in the masjid inshallah we don't find pebbles on the ground but even if you are in the masjid and there is something there if you want to remove something from your place of prostration do it one time and don't engage yourself throughout your prayer constantly in every prostration moving something and smoothing the ground this is considered to be makruh the Prophet ﷺ said if you must do it then do it only once uh, also it is forbidden to spit in the mask while engaged in prayer and there are a number of hadith that he mentions concerning that uh, one of them is reported from Abdullah ibn Umar on the following page 276 all of this is in volume 1 of Sahih Muslim uh, on the authority of Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhu he reported that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam saw some spittle on the wall 
يعني, where someone had spit on the wall in the direction of the Qibla. The Prophet scratched it or removed it, and then he turned to the people and said, when any one of you prays, he must not spit in front of him, for Allah is in front of him when he is engaged in prayer. يعني, uh, and in other hadith, um, some of the other narrations mention that a person should uh, spit behind them or under their left foot. Uh, and he said also, spitting in the mark is a sin, and its expiation is that it should be buried. Yani, that you should cover it up. And in another narration he said that uh, he saw the Messenger of Allah وسلم, and he spat and then rubbed it off with his left shoe. In any case, yani, we should avoid this in the prayers. The next thing that's also yani, to be avoided in the prayer is mentioned in the hadith of Aisha, hadith number 1131 on page 277 in Sahih Muslim. She said that the Messenger of Allah وسلم, prayed in the garment which had designs or markings over it. So he, the Prophet وسلم, said, take it to Abu Jahm and bring me a plain cloth from him because, or a plain blanket from him because its designs have distracted me. Yani, you should not pray with anything in front of you that is distracting you. If you pray, for example, in a room or at home or in the masjid with their curtains or, or pictures or something hanging on the wall that's distracting, it should be removed. Even it's reported from Aisha in hadith number 1133 that the Prophet of Allah had a garment himself. He was wearing a garment that had designs upon it. And this distracted him in prayer. So he gave it to Abu Jahm and took a plain garment in its place, which is known uh, as Anbijaniya. Also, the hadith that we took in this chapter previously, the uh, makru things, is that a person shouldn't pray while the food is brought to them or when they have to answer the call of nature. And also that it is forbidden to eat garlic and onions uh, or anything that has an offensive spell, smell while coming to the mosque. Yani this is also of those things that are makru. The Messenger of Allah sallallahu said during the battle of Khaybar, he who ate of this plant, that is garlic, he should not come to the mosque. Yani until its odor is removed. And there are a number of hadith, uh, including this hadith, which is hadith number 1141. And this also, some of the contemporary scholars included under this ruling that a person shouldn't come to the mosque with any distasteful smell, especially the taste of cigarettes, which is worse than garlic or onion. Garlic and onion are lawful foods, but because of their taste or their smell, a person shouldn't come with that strong smell coming from their body or from their mouth, coming to the masjid to perform the prayer and congregation to disturb the angels and disturb the people. And smoking is worse than that. Uh, it is forbidden to cry out for finding lost things in the masjid. This hadith number 1153 on page 282, Abu Huraira reported the Messenger of Allah said, if anyone hears a man crying out in the mosque about something he has lost, he should say, may Allah not restore it to you, for the masjids were not built for this. Yani, a person should not announce, use the masjid as a place of announcement, because the, the masjid is a place of congregation. So somebody lost something, they said, I'll go to the masjid while everybody's there and I'll announce that I lost something. The masjids are not built for such purpose. This is something that should not be done. And in fact, the Prophet ﷺ said, if anybody announces they lost things in the masjid, then you should pray that Allah does not return it to them. Or Allah don't return it to them. This is something that shouldn't be done in the masjid. These are some of the makhru things 
related to the salat that we should also avoid inshallah um, you can review the English translation of Sahih Muslim to find those hadith and read all the narrations because we just skip through them quickly Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika ashadu an la ilaha ila anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk if there are any comments or questions uh, or corrections before we go to the prayer Naam Hmm? Okay, inshallah, uh, this is my copy. When we go down to prayer, no, I will make it, inshallah. Whoever didn't get a copy, how many people didn't get a copy? Two? Okay, as soon as we go down to prayer, I will go and make uh, some copies and give to you, inshallah. Any other comment or question or correction? Oh, yes, Jazakallah khair. Sisters, um, uh, when we go down, uh, when we go to pray, please remember to go downstairs. There, there's the Arabic class tonight, and the men are coming up, and they will need that room. If there are no questions from the sisters, and no comments or questions from the brothers, then uh, the sisters may uh, begin to proceed to the sisters' area downstairs before these men come. The person who is very sleepy should not pray in that condition, but they should take sleep first so that they don't perform the prayer in a condition that they don't know what they are saying. Perhaps a person who is sleepy might say in the prayer something they don't intend to say. The Prophet ﷺ said that if a person is sleepy, they should take sleep. Yani that person is excused. Of course, we should also keep in mind the general rule that we have to repeat over and over again. Don't take these things as an excuse that food came, I'm sleepy, in order to avoid the prayers, especially the prayers in congregation. But a person should try to sleep at the proper times, so that uh, when it's time for prayer, they will not be sleepy. But of course, there are conditions sometimes, maybe somebody works all night long, or they work on a job that's very uh, tedious or strenuous, or whatever their condition may be, maybe there was some problem that kept them awake or kept them busy for longer hours than usual, and the person might be tired at the time of Salat. This is the case that the Prophet ﷺ is talking about, that that person uh, is, yeah, and he has a legitimate excuse, and they should take some sleep, some rest, even if 10, 15 minutes, half an hour, and then get up and perform the prayer in its time. And then get up and, and perform the prayer in its time. Uh, there's one question before we leave from the sisters regarding hadith number 56. Uh, does a woman receive equivalent blessings or rewards for praying in her home? Please explain. If, if there are any hadith that oblige a woman to pray with other women in congregation as it is with the hadith regarding men praying with men. If a person brushes his teeth after uh, taking garlic or onions, is, is it sufficient? Okay, the last question first, the easiest one. <laughs> if the odor from the garlic or onions or whatever is removed, then this is the reason why the person shouldn't come to the masjid due to the odor. If the odor is removed, then there's no harm in coming. If someone eats onions or garlic and there's no odor from it because they cooked it thoroughly or something, then also there's no harm in coming to the masjid. Uh, as for the woman, is there any hadith which obligates the woman to pray with other women in congregation? Uh, as it is for men, I don't know of any such hadith. Allahu uh, There are hadith which indicate that it's permissible for women to pray in congregation. And Aisha radiallahu anha, she used to bring the ladies together in her home and pray in congregation when they were gathered together. And particularly in Ramadan, if they didn't pray in the masjid, then they used to pray together at home. But that there's an obligation to pray in congregation, 
I don't know of such a hadith that the women are required to pray in congregation. On the contrary, what the general principle is that the women are uh, encouraged to pray at home, not to pray in congregation. If they are in a place where there is a group of women together and a time for prayer comes, there is no harm, it is acceptable, it is legitimate, and it was done by the wives of the Prophet wasallam and the wives of the companions of the Messenger of Allah wasallam. So it is good to do, but to say that it is obligatory, I don't know of any such hadith. Uh, as for the reward of the women, uh, the blessings and reward for praying at home, is it that uh, she re- re- receive equal blessings like the men for praying in congregation? Of course. When the legislator, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam told the women that the prayer of the women in her home is better than the prayer in the masjid, then this makes us to know that the reward that the woman receives for praying at home is more than if she went to the masjid. Not only we can say it's equivalent, but it is more preferable and more rewardable for her to pray at home than to pray in the uh, congregation. And in fact, the hadith concerning this that's reported by At-Tirmidhi uh, indicate that the more secluded the woman is in her place of prayer, the more rewardable and preferable and beloved it is to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yani the prayer in the big congregational masjid is the worst place for the woman to pray and the neighborhood local masjid is less. Yeah, it's less detestable and to pray in her courtyard is less detestable to pray inside of her house is less in her private room is the best and so on like this the more secluded she is the more preferable it is for the woman uh, in her prayers and Allah knows best subhanahu is there a question? naam fadl these tapes are yours also <laughs> naam is there repetition if a person is occupied their mind is distracted in the prayer is it required to repeat it um, I don't know that it's required to, to uh, repeat it but um, this is something that is common that the human being may be distracted in the prayer it is encouraged to seek the ways to know the means of concentration in prayer. Yani a person should make the effort to avoid such. If a person was distracted in the prayer, no. There's no proof that it has to be repeated. The Prophet ﷺ in the hadith that we mentioned last week said that a person might perform the prayer and they would only get the reward of one-tenth of it or one-ninth or one-eighth or one-seventh meaning that they, would, they don't have to repeat the prayer but their reward is decreased. Their reward is decreased. The more the person is occupied with something else, the less the reward they get for the, the prayer. But if they perform the outward aspects of the prayer properly, they didn't do anything that invalidates the prayer, then this doesn't invalidate the prayer, but it decreases the reward of the prayer. So there's no need to repeat the prayer for such a reason. There's no proof that the absence of concentration in the prayer invalidates the prayer, but it does decrease and perhaps can eliminate all reward. Perhaps the person will only get credit for performing the prayer. There would be no sin against them. Yani they did perform the prayer. There is no sin against them. But perhaps they might not get any reward. Yani hasana. They might not get any hasana if they didn't have any concentration in the prayer. Is it, is it uh, clear? This, this seems to be a common practice from people who follow the Shafi'i uh, Madhab and this is due to a misunderstanding of some of the Shafi'i scholars uh, they, they think uh, perhaps that's what I understand Allah knows best 
that um, if a person doesn't have perfect concentration at the time of the takbir to ihram, then they didn't enter the prayer. So they keep trying again and again until they achieve such. But there's no proof for such that it happened in the time of the Prophet ﷺ that he did it, or that he suggested anyone to do it, or that any of the Sahaba did it and he allowed it in their presence. So it's something that there's no need for such. A person should just make the effort to concentrate at the time of the takbir as well as throughout the salat until they make taslim. You should concentrate in the prayers best you can to get the most complete reward. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika ashadu an la ilaha ila anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk. Ya